let's go. Good morning, welcome to Talk with TT, and I'm uh, delighted that I've got uh, Dr. George Hay with me. This is the first of uh, a series of podcasts um, where it's a chance to meet people in the, the church, Colchester Baptist Church, um, and uh, George is my first candidate for me to interview, and I'm delighted to have uh, George with me. So welcome, George. Good to have you here. Now, tell us, George, um, where were you born? And it's up to you whether you want to tell us when I you were born. born. I was born in Highgate, London. Not, okay. yes, not, in, not in the prison, <laughs> um, uh, because that's where my father's family were but then they uh, um, as a baby um, I was quickly taken to Plumstead because he he got a job as a bus driver uh, at, at Plumstead. Okay and uh, was your education at school at Plumstead? Uh, yeah, um, yes I started off at the primary school at um, Plumstead but again we were there only for about a year before my father um, bought a house in Belvedere, Kent. Right. And so I went to the primary school in Belvedere. Ah, okay. um, and uh, I was there until I was about five. And, and then, um, unfortunately, the war had started and my father was killed. Oh, and so my mother was left with two small children and the shop steward at the uh, uh, bus depot where my father worked, uh, it got me um, transferred because my mother was under a great deal of pressure uh, because she'd been writing to a man with the same name as my father in prison but turned out to be the wrong person so right. there was a, a trauma there and she was not a very strong person psychologically although yeah. a very loving person and I was put into a military school down at Dover where I stayed until I was 11. Okay. I was educated there. Right. And what happened at 11 years of age? Uh, uh, well, they said to me, uh, um, the school said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to be an electrical engineer. So yeah. I was not virtually given any choice, but put into the um, Army Apprentices School at Harrogate. Ah. Uh, and my education started then. I was there for three years. But in order to do so, I had to sign up for eight years in the Army. Right. Uh, and but I was put into a dormitory at Harrogate and uh, with 18 other boys uh, yeah. there were about 500 in the whole um, school but the boy next to me happened to be a Christian yeah. and um, he introduced me uh, to the Christian way of life he was a very clear witness yeah uh, from there uh, I went into the army but found that it wasn't for me yes so, uh, he, um, but, but i was then transferred to hong kong where i spent three years in the army um, yeah. uh, um, stationed for a short while um in singapore um i missed the opportunity of learning chinese which i had the advantage <laughs> they were learning firsthand of course but there i started my education in a real sense Yes. Because by that time I'd become a Christian and I wanted to advance. Yes. So, uh, um, and tell me, tell me why, why didn't the army suit you? 
it's going to sound rather defamatory, I'm afraid. <laughs> there was a fair amount of bullying in those days. Yeah. I don't mean physical bullying, but um, you had to follow the orders of people who seemed to be um, not ignorant, but, but, but were willing to adopt the regime, which I found quite difficult. Now, that I, I, I blame myself, not them, yeah. but, uh, but I, it, was, it was not quite in, in line with my character, because I like to be cheeky, I like to ask questions, uh, uh, and I like to, at those days, being a teenager, I like to break the mould. So <laughs> I found it do. very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I did enjoy and benefited from the stay in Hong Kong, because right. I met some wonderful Christian people there, uh -huh. and some wonderful Christians, because the communist regime in China had just taken over, and there were floods of people coming into Hong Kong. Right. Um, okay. cool. Coming back from um, Hong Kong, I was caught by the um, Suez Crisis, yes. so the ship that I was on couldn't go through the Suez Canal, so we went through South Africa, which was which was rather nice, and then up to Dakar and back to England. Yeah. Um, th then I spent a year still in the army in Manabia in Wales, and there I applied for discharge. Uh, um, and because I'd signed up, I had to make a payment of £200, which was quite a lot of money in those days. Yeah. <laughs> me. But then I, ca I came out of the army then at 24 years of age. Yes. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, let's just uh, sidestep um, for a moment. Um, we're living in extraordinary times with the coronavirus. Yes. Um, how are you finding it? How has it affected your regime? Um, well, you could say that because of the uh, physical condition of my wife, we've been married for 61 years. Fantastic. Jolly good wife. And so I'm tending her to a certain extent for the jobs that she can no longer do. She does some things. So I've been mostly confined to the house to, to a large extent already. Mm. But even so, the, the extra imposition has <laughs> caused some degree of boredom, I must admit. <laughs> so I've had to change my regime. And uh, as you know, I used to go swimming, but yeah. now I go, I, go, I go for long walks. Yeah. Uh, and I arranged that with Mary so that I, I, I'm available for her if she wants me. Yes. Um, but I must admit, it, 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 there is a certain pressure caused by this virus thing because mm. we have to keep away from relatives yes. and from neighbours. Yeah. Um, so we contact in the way that we're doing now. We've had family conferences on Zoom um, and the neighbours have been very, very good indeed. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You're quite an early bird, though, aren't you? In um, non-COVID times, you what time would you be swimming in the morning? Um, well, because Mary has to have slow painkillers in, we've had to change our regime for a number of years. And these painkillers go in at five o'clock in the morning. And so I've been able to go uh, down to the swimming pool, traffic-free conditions, and the pool opens at six. And amazingly, some of the youngsters of Colchester have been there since half past five. Really? And when I leave at seven, they're still, they're still under their training. And Fantastic. it's a very severe training as well. 
Excellent. So I, 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 I do that three times a week. And now I'm going to boast now. I, I, I try and swim 60 lengths. Um, but but um, it, it's normally about 55. That's brilliant. Well done. Well, done. well very slow, of course. I yeah. paddle along, yes. Yeah. Well, let's pick up. You you discharged from the army in Wales. You were 24 years of age. What, what happened next? Well, when I, when I came out, I was, my parents had moved um, into Ringwood, which is in Hampshire, on the edge of the New Forest. Beautiful. And um, I was involved with a, a church group there. And uh, one, of the, one of the ladies um, there was from the Isle of Wight. And a gentleman there who turned out to be my wife's uncle, used to arrange young people's conferences in the New Forest, of which as many, believe it or not, a thousand young people would meet. Fantastic. And it was there that I met my wife, Mary. And so eventually we got married. And the family joke is I used to get seasick on the ferry going over to the <laughs> Isle of Wight, which I did on one or two occasions. <laughs> um, uh, and we settled um, in Ringwood because my I, I got a job there with a firm um, called Wright Rain, which was an irrigation company. Right. And I could use my electrical skills and, and mechanical engineering skills there. And that really started me off on a massive career because mm. I went around the world and I've, the, the latest count is about 45 different countries that I went to. Um, and I um, gained from that experience in a massive extent. Yes. Because yes. going overseas and meeting new cultures multiplies you. It doesn't add to you, it multiplies you. Yes. And, yes. and, I, and I do realize looking back, the tremendous amount of information and knowledge and feelings and so on that I got from meeting people there. Yeah. And because by that time I was active in Christian work, nearly always yes. I, I yes. went out in spare time to meet the missionaries and I met oh. some fantastic people. Really. Can you can you recall any that stand out in your memory? Who you know what kind um, of? Uh, yes, yes, I can. Um, when I was in uh, Guatemala, I met some missionaries there uh, from New Zealand, and they were looking after um, down and out kids uh, from from. Um, Guatemala City, which is the capital, of course, of Guatemala. And the way that they worked and the things that they did and the way that they exposed themselves and the way that they loved these native people was impressive, absolutely impressive. But then I had the double um, blessing of having to fly to the, to the northern part of Guatemala, which most people couldn't in those days because there was no roads. So I, I, had, I was able to hire a private aeroplane and I flew into Flores, which is the capital of Flores. And I had two experiences there. One was I was chased around the hotel by a gunman. Oh gosh. Yeah, that was quite frightening. Um, but, the, but, but then I had a spare day and they gave me a Land Rover and a driver and we went off into the forests of Guatemala and we... Um, saw the capital city 
of the, the Mayans in Guatemala called Tikal, which had only been recently discovered. And that was an amazing experience uh, in, in Guatemala. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, um, um, the other thing that amazed me is that the way that professional people were willing to commit themselves to the to the to the Christian cause. Mm. People of high qualifications, mm. doctors, surgeons, pilots. Mm. Uh, uh, these people flying around in in hazardous conditions. Yeah, you know, exposing themselves. People were spending ten years um, turning an unwritten language into a written language. Yeah, uh, uh, um, I sometimes felt like a pygmy. Yes, yes. You know, to, to, to meet such people. Yes, yes. Excellent. Okay, now tell us a bit about your children. How many uh, in your family are there? Because they're scattered around the world, aren't they? Uh, um, Yes, yes, I've had an, an experience there with my family. I had two daughters, um, both um, got to very good professional positions. My oldest daughter has just retired as a junior director in the biggest bank in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, she lives in the village here, so I'm very proud of her. She's bilingual, um, she speaks French and German and Spanish. Um, and my youngest daughter um, did even better in a way. She became active in the Lloyd's insurance market mm. and was insuring um, whole fleets of aircraft, oil fields, um, national economies such as Egypt and so on, but unfortunately died early. Mm. And we had her son here since he was eight. And he's yeah. now at university. So that, going through that trauma of her dying and the way she died mm -hmm. uh, tested my Christian faith to a great extent. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I'd like to think, um, although costly, it's maybe a slightly better person. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's well put. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, how long have you been associated with Colchester Baptist Church? How did that all happen? Well, um, I spent five years in Nigeria uh, doing power stations and water treatment schemes and so on. And in 1980, we decided to come back. Uh, we, we thought that um, as I was then 45, it was time to make a change. Yeah. And, and my um, usefulness to the company that was in Nigeria was gradually running out in any case. So I had to look for another job. And it's a long story, so I, I won't bother you with it. But eventually, um, we were offered a job to run a company uh, in Colchester. And I became the managing director of Armstrong Pumps, yeah. which I served for 13 years. Okay. Uh, and uh, we, we settled here. And having settled here, we had to look around for spiritual home uh, and so we joined um Rodney at the church here yeah uh, the back church in the center of colchester fantastic and uh how so how long ago was that 
So Rodney was minister, he was minister, was it in the... Been, Rodney had been minister about 18 months. Yeah. And we came in 1980, uh, in November of that year. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I've been here, what, 35? Uh, um, I can't, can't, no, 30 years, yeah. Yeah. And what struck you about the ministry of the church? Why Colchester Baptist Church? What was it? that attracted you? Um, first of all, Rodney was uh, delivering a biblical message, yeah. which um, I've come to appreciate and value. Um, the, the fellowship was active. Yeah. Um, people like uh, a character called Keith Simpson was running a youth choir. Mm -hmm. um, there was plenty of life in the church. And I got a good welcome. Yeah. Uh, and and immediately I was um, with with Rodney's tactful manner. I was uh, asked to do certain things, which you know <laughs> was, was uh, um, encouraged me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And he has been a, a great encouragement to me. Yeah. And did you? What sort of roles in the church have you served? Have you been a deacon? Um... Yes, I've been a deacon, and I was a church. Um, secretary for four or five years. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I've been active. Uh, Rodney was very good. He allowed me to preach in the church. I took several communion services, did yeah. inductions of, of new members and so on. So he greatly involved me, which coming from a very tiny church, yeah. my home church was, was only about 60 people, coming into yes. a, a bigger church, but I suddenly realized that that, I, that had given me some benefits because in a small church, you have to do everything. Yeah. And so I was, I was able to transfer that knowledge. Now, my life intersected yours back in 1990 when I became the minister at Earlscombe Baptist Church. And I first heard about you through mutual friends, Frank and Grace Williams. And I remember them raving about you because during the interregnum, you were uh, one of the key lay, you know, lay preachers who would visit there quite regularly. And, um, and uh, uh, John Tyler was another who also was quite involved at that time. Um, and one of the things that, that uh, people so appreciated, and I remember you actually, we got you back whilst I was there because I heard such great things about you. And um, and this talks about your your sort of demeanour, your attitude as a Christian. So it's not a um, a closed uh, way of thinking. So tell us a bit about your expansive thinking um, as a Christian, because you've you've been retired a few years, but you haven't kind of sat on your hands, have you, Dr. George Hay? Um, <laughs> well, well, thank you. Um, I was taught early on, and I remember this fairly precisely, uh, a gentleman who did a, a, um, a series on the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that he brought out very, very clearly was, was, was honesty. Mm. You have to be perfectly honesty. Uh, and, uh, and I realized that there were certain gaps in my understanding and knowledge and I realized that there were certain limitations um, 
And so I, I, I try to follow that mm. and to be honest, that where I don't understand things and where things are mysterious, um, that, it, that, it's, that it's wrong with me. And especially when dealing with people um, who don't believe in the Christian faith, if they feel that I've got a closed mind, um, I, I feel that it would be a drawback. So it, it's a mixture of those things, if, if I've made that understandable. Yeah, um, yeah. That, Good. That, that while I know what works, I, 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 epistemology is it called, and why do you believe what you believe and know what you know, yes. is it, certain in my mind. Yeah. I, know, I know what works. Yeah. But I do realise that there are edges uh, yeah. um, to, to that. Okay, well, we've got a, we're moving on now to um, a frivolous bit of um, fun, a quick fire quiz. I yes. have to say to you, George, that um, you may answer these all correctly and there is no prize, but um, it's just a bit of fun. So uh, for listeners, um, it's just a, a quick fire question. And George is just going to give his view. So in terms of, uh, we're in the world of coronavirus, we're locked down. Uh, there's lots of video conferencing software. So Zoom or Skype, which do you prefer? Zoom. Okay, cool. Um, oh, well, you're, you're a man of uh, science engineering. Uh, nature or nurture? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Trust you to throw a googly. <laughs> um, nature plays a strong part in 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 life, um, and you can be influenced by your background and so on. Yeah. But because of my training in physics and maths, which are my loves. Yes. Um, I, I tend to think that, that there are some hard edges as well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, um, I realise I'm not giving a clear answer, but I but, but I haven't got one. No, well, it's a bit of an unfair question actually, but yeah. that's part of the fun of yeah. asking it. Um, so, do you prefer gardening or do it yourself? D DIY for sure. Yep, DIY, excellent. Yeah. Um, in, Terms of the Bible, do you, Psalms or the Apostle Paul's writings? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, like C.S. Lewis, you know, I rejoice in Psalm eight, which yeah. you know, is a piece of prose which is out of this world. Yeah. Um, in terms of logical and philosophical thinking, I, you know, I go for the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> You're being very. Well, I'm not judicious. trying to cover both both spots. I suppose if I was pushed to it, I would have to go to the more hard edge stuff. Okay, and that's Paul. <laughs> and that's Paul. Yes. Um, okay. Let's think about food. Um, roast chicken dinner or an Asian curry. An Asian curry. You see, that surprises probably a lot of people. Yeah. Um, in terms of writers, you've mentioned him already, uh, C.S. Lewis or J.K. Rowling? I would go for C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I'm envious of his ability to write. Indeed. Yes, his, his clarity and a certain amount of pro provoking you into thinking. 
And in terms of Bible translations, do you prefer the New International Version or the New Revised Version? Uh, uh, it's got to be the NIV yeah. because I've got I've got used to it. Yeah. Um, uh, it, uh, it was difficult translating from the authorized <laughs> into the NIV. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, in terms of uh, hymns, uh, we have In Christ Alone or How Great Thou Art. Which one would you go for? Well, I hope it won't surprise people, but I would go for In Christ Alone. Why is that? It's because... Because it's, it's, it's an obvious statement, but Christ is central to yeah. the Christian faith. And that expresses, that hymn for me expresses that understanding. Uh, but I do value the other one. But that's where my God. Uh, I, I'm a little tiny bit aware of the danger of a sentimental approach to hymn writing, which I, I see, as, if I can be critical, in some of the stuff that's coming out at the present time. Oh, okay. uh, it's, not, it, it, it's not doctrinal enough for me. But, yes, uh, yeah. Interesting, because Graham Kendrick, um, who's, who's kind of um, been around for 30 plus years, his songwriting moved very doctrinally um, at a time where other songwriters were, were, were quite sort of yeah. emotional and loose on theology and, and yes. the substance of faith. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on. Uh, do you prefer uh, or dwelling in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? Or the, um, the New. Okay, okay. Um, in terms of character, personality, are you a pessimist or an optimist? I'm an optimist. Yeah, I'll put you that. Yes. yes. The final and really important question, do you prefer crisps or chocolate? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, chocolate. Oh, <laughs> good man, right. good man. Congratulations <laughs> for answering those so well. Now, um, in church, we heard um, about the award of your PhD um, a few months ago. And uh, one of the things I've always valued about your thinking is your exploration in science, engaging with faith, with Christian faith. Yes. Um, can we just talk about that for a moment? Um, and... Uh, you know, you are into subjects that are not comfortable realms for me. Physics and maths were never my yes. preferred, but um, they're incredibly important. And a lot of people will think that uh, Christians um, will often deny, um, you know, scientific inquiry. And yet, of course, there are some tremendous Christian minds in, you know, I think of Professor John Lennox, um, professor yes. of mathematics at Oxford University um, and there are a, a whole group of Christians in science who are leading academics of yes. faith. Um, tell us about your own sort of thinking around scientific inquiry and help the listeners uh, with what we talked about the other day. Um, yes, um, 
Well, I, I, I take the view that God has written two books, a God of nature and the Bible. And the fact that nature uh, has a structure to it, um, is to me something amazing because um, it's difficult to know where to start. But, but for instance, there are about 23 constants in nature, which are absolutely essential to us an established order. Now, the majority of those constants, if varied by one tenth of one percent, would change the world in which we know it. And I find that quite marvellous. I, 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 I can't dismiss that. Mm. And neither can people like Sir John Polkinghorne, mm. uh, who's also of, of Oxford. He's a master of a college there. He's, a, he's um, an ordained minister mm. and he's well respected uh, in, the, in um, the fields of atomic science. And then um, you gradually understand that science is not perfect. It, it, there are two or three th um, theorems which have been produced by people of atheistic mind, which have shown that the combination of mathematics doesn't uh, create certainty. Mm. And there is a thing called the uncertainty principle, which was um, established by a gentleman called Heisenberg, in which we cannot tell the speed of an electron or its position at the same time. Um, then there's a thing called the incompleteness theory, which I've mentioned before, but describing it as uh, um, the inability to exactly say what a bunch of formula can mean. Mm. And yet those formula are themselves miraculous. Mm. They're very simple mm. and they tell a story. Mm. Um, but they're not complete. Yeah. And um, science works um, on the principle that we've got a lot more yet to learn. Mm. So what we have is incomplete. Mm. And it comes as, a, as amazing to some people to know that we can put man on the moon, as I've said, using Newtonian physics, knowing that Einstein's theories, which have been uh, proved correct as far as science is concerned, completely negate some of the stuff which Newton said. So you put all these things together and you realize that, that science is not perfect and will not give us an answer. Um, there is a, a, a book written um, which fascinated me. It's a very difficult book to read, but on the fabric of reality in which um, an atheist scientist, an atomic scientist again, has said that science does not give us reality. It simply gives us outcomes. Yes. Known outcomes. Yes. Yes. Um, which is which you have to gnaw away at to to, um, to understand what it means. But it is in fact extremely important. Mm. Um, the example I give, as you know, is 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 yachting, where the yachtsman thinks it's the wind that's blowing him along, whereas in fact it's a vacuum in front. But uh, we have a 
an atomic gold medalist, uh, sorry, uh, a, a yachting gold medalist who works on the principle of the wind. So you can, you can, you can have a, an outcome which is based on a false premise, yes. but nevertheless gives you that. I mean, for 700 years, people were floating around the Mediterranean using the Ptolemaic system of the universe. Yeah. Uh, and being able to get from shore to shore fairly accurately. But yeah. we, we now know it's totally wrong. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. And I hope that, that mess of stuff I've given you indicates uh, the, the kind of thinking that I have on, on yeah. this. Uh, but it's a massive subject. There are literally hundreds of books on this subject. Yes. How does that um, inform and reassure you of your faith? Um, well, first of all, negatively, it tells me that science won't give me the answer. Mm. Because science works on a, on a certain kind of thinking, a methodology. Secondly, of course, when we're dealing with God, we're dealing with something which is extra natural. Mm. God, God, God doesn't, it, it, you, 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 if I can just have the privilege for a moment of using um, that language which is, which is not very godly. If we say um, that if God exists, how does he make himself known? Mm. How would he do it? Uh, he, he won't do it by science. Mm. Uh, so we are talking about something which is superhuman, outside the human mind. Mm. And uh, that to me is convincing. Now, now uh, the Christian faith uh, is, is a dynamic faith. It develops. And as I think about that, it hasn't weakened. It's strengthened, even though more and more information comes in which um makes you think mm. more and more un uncertainties arise so you reach the, the kind of position where you know you know less and less but you believe more and more that's fantastic faith goes stronger because you find that it works yes so so the notion of the incarnation of god in christ jesus yes how does that, so that in terms of God who is extra natural from the world, yes. uh, we're, not, yes. we're not pantheistic where people, those people who think God is the world, the substance of the universe, um, whereas you're saying something quite uh, important that God is beyond the world, outside of the world, as well as in the world through the Holy Spirit. What does the incarnation mean to you then in terms of a credible faith of God interacting with humanity. Yes, yes. Um, I can only explain this back with a very, very simple illustration. If a friend of mine, who's a gardener, was digging one day and he, and he disturbed a nest of, an, of ants, and he was so sorry, and he said, I only wish I could become an ant, then I could <laughs> tell them how sorry I was. <laughs> and it's that kind of approach to the matter that I take. Yes. If God yes. is going to speak to me, he's going to speak to me through another human being. Yes. Um, and he would 
do it that way because that's the only way uh, in which that can be made. Now, that was done through Christ. And although, to use C.S. Um, Lewis's language, although that seems incredible, God has given us no other choice. Mm. And he sent Christ to yeah. convey that message. Yes, yes. Uh, and that to me seems perfectly reasonable. Yes, it is. And it's quite a remarkable thing to think the creator and maker of the universe has limited himself into a human being. Um, it's like, as your friend's saying, he becoming a, an ant, you know, <laughs> giving yeah. up all of the yeah. strength of humanity to become this little creature, this insect. That's right. Well, God is not a superhuman being. He's not a, a super Schwarzenegger. He's totally other than what yes. we can imagine. Yes. And to reduce himself in the way that you've described mm. is, an, is an immense step. Mm. Yeah. Okay, this has been really interesting uh, talking to you. Let's come to our final um, uh, thought. Um, these are, we're, we're living through once in a century pandemic. And um, yeah. I, I just, and you're a, a man of deep faith and you've faithfully followed Christ through the years across the world in the 45 countries you've lived in with your family. If you're gonna give us a word of encouragement, what would that be? Um, now what would you be saying to our listeners as we look ahead well i would simply say that the christian faith is growing its center of gravity may be in the far east uh, or in africa or in south america uh, but the but the christian church is is growing hmm. there are very active centers of christian activity uh, in Europe, in Britain, and in the United States. Uh, uh, and the, the world as we know it um, is reacting to some of this. Um, we need to pray very hard for the middle countries, that is from uh, the Middle East over to about Burma, where because of um, other faiths, the Christian church has not had much effect. But, it, but elsewhere, the Christian church is making a, a, um, bold steps forward and it's likely to in, in, increase. And I long for the day when it returns in that fashion to the, to the United Kingdom. Mm, mm. Um, and um, in terms of what, what would a word be to Colchester Baptist Church, to your friends there, to um, the children and next generation coming forward, what, what would you want to say to us? I, 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 would, I would say to, to, the, to them, read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, Hang on to your faith. I don't mean by your fingertips. I mean grab it hard. And I would say look, look at the vitality which there actually is in in, in Colchester Church, yeah. Colchester Baptist Church. Uh, I'm hesitating to boast because 
but but I think it's a wonderful fellowship. Mm. It's dynamic, uh, and uh, without being patronising, it's led by by dedicated people. And and uh, I think that's bound to have an have an, an effect. Mm. And we have to keep on preaching, keep on teaching, but keep on living mm. uh, the Christian faith. Mm. And and I, I I think if there's if there's a time when it's needed, it's needed now because secularism is fraying is fraying at the edges. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a thing called the noetic mind, which psychologists use, which is the decisions which people really make. They're not making scientifically. Why do people have tattoos? Yeah. Why do women wear high heel shoes when when they know that it's going to ruin their feet when they're old age? So they're making decisions um, not based on priorities. And there's a whole, whole lot of other stuff that you could bring in. You know? Yes, yes. Um, have, have, so that I think the Christian faith puts priorities into your life, yeah. which are good and wholesome, and even from a sociological point of view, are beneficial. Yeah, yeah. George, it's been a thrill to talk to you and to listen to you. Um, as ever, you, with your inquiring mind and expansive thinking and dedicated faith, um, thank you for being an encouragement uh, to me and to many uh, at church. And um, we've only just kind of caught a glimpse of... of how God's led you through life, and we, you know, we could have delved into some of the other countries um, that you've yeah. lived in. But thank you for for what you bring to us. Thank you for what I love about you, George, is your thirst and your hunger um, uh, to follow Christ, to to think through things, and and I think that's such a uh, an encouragement to me personally and up to others that you're you know, you, you're not settling, uh, you're always wanting to be, as the New Testament talks, a methetes, a learner of Christ, and um, that, that thirst and hungering for God, and, uh, and being unafraid, you're very bold and adventurous in exploring questions and themes, so thank you so much for your part in the church, thank you for all that you continue to give, um, it's been a real <laughs> blessing, and uh, yeah, you take care and we'll see you soon. Okay, thank okay. you.